special edition for Asarat Yemei entitled Embracing God's Far-Reaching Involvement in Your Life. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we read in the Torah the story of Chana. I'd like to analyze it to come up with a reason why perhaps we read it on Rosh Hashanah. So of course it's a beautiful story of someone who cannot conceive and she's miserable. What really jumps out at you in the story is that it starts out saying, Hashem Sagaret Rachma, that God closed her womb. I mean, that's far more overt than, for example, all the Imahot, Sarah, Rivka, Leah, where just, they were just described as Akara. As I said, she is quite miserable for many years, and then she comes up with a bold plan that she's going to dedicate her son. She asked for a son specifically. And that son will go, she will bring him to live by Elia Cohen, and that son will also be a Nazir. And of course, to add insult to injury, while she's praying in front of Eli, the high priest, he thinks that she's drunk. And he asks, calls her out, why, why you bring alcohol? And she says, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm in anguish, I'm in pain. Uh, and he blesses her and says, whatever you are asking for, you should get. And of course, that raises the question, so how did she merit getting the son Shmuel? Was it um, because she prayed for him, or did it also help that she got a blessing from the high priest who was also a Navi? I guess we'll never know, but it's interesting that she had to go through this sort of insult to injury and to, in order to engage him, in order to get this blessing. But What's interesting is after, afterwards, she of course holds up her side of the bargain. She gives over her son after, after Shmuel is weaned to Ellie. And then she says something which really, um, if you look it through the lens of Medrash Tanhuma, really is significant. She's praising God and it, she uses a phrase, Velo nitkenu alelot, which, which literally means and God didn't engage in any subterfuges, any trickery. And basically what she's saying is, I'm very happy with the results, the way that turns out. I have no complaints against God. Everything is good. I got my child and amazing. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so thankful to God. But that word alila sort of really cannot be uh, understated because in Medrash Tanhuma, it's a very, very big theme because Medrash Tanhuma sort of takes God to task for alilot that God performs, some, some kind of uh, trickery or manipulation of events. In three cases, I'll, I'll share with you. Number one was Adam. You know, Adam uh, is blamed as sort of the, you know, biggest mass murderer in the world. He killed trillions of people. He brought mortality to the world. But the Medrash says, isn't that a little bit of alila? I mean, it says, Adam the, the Torah itself talks about a scenario where someone's going to die, and after all, Hashem looked in the Torah to create the world, it means that God anticipated that there would be mortality. So is it really fear to heap all this guilt uh, on Adam? Perhaps that was the way it was going to be anyways. Of course, it's not a theological question because God is beyond time, and God knew that death would come into the world, but the Medrash is questioning maybe we're ever slightly too harsh on Adam because this is something that was inevitable. 
The next example is also very fascinating. It's the brothers of Yosef, right? Now, again, the matter says, but God, you're the one who caused this jealousy, which caused them to sell Yosef, so that they had this very, very difficult test. And of course, they flunked the test and there are dire consequences from it, but it all served the purpose of God. God wanted them to, slay, to sell Yosef into slavery so that Yaakov would have to come down to Egypt so that Jewish destiny would continue to unfold and get the whole Yitzhak Mitzrayim story. So it was something that God was accused in the Medrash of manipulating events so that you can get to the place of having the, the Yaakov and, uh, you know, and his children coming down to Egypt is the way God wanted it. And the last case uh, the Medrash mentions is about Moshe Rabbeinu and hitting the rock. Again, the Medrash proves from other psukim that there were other reasons why God, why Moshe didn't get into Eretz Israel. It wasn't just hitting the rock. So why is Moshe sort of guilted with this hitting the rock and losing his ability to come into Eretz Israel when there are clearly other reasons? So plugging that back into our story, the analysis becomes very, very stark because when she makes this beautiful statement in praise of God, as I said, velo nitkinu alot, it's the low is spelled lamid aleph, meaning there were no subterfuges when it came to God. I am happy the way everything turned out. But that is very, what's very fascinating here is that is called the, the kativ, the way it is written. But sometimes the Torah shows us also the way we should pronounce it. And that's called the Cree. And the Cree, instead of lamid aleph, meaning no, no subterfuges, it's vilo lamid vav, means to him, to God, are subterfuges. In other words, it means exactly the opposite. As if, you know, Chazal are telling us that this story is basically saying, here's an example of God's subterfuges. Here's an example of what God is manipulating events. God wanted Shmuel Anavi to come into the scene. Shmuel Anavi had to be born from a special family and had to be raised by a special person, Elia Cohen, all these circumstances had to unfold as destiny unfolds. And so, again, one could plug this black in the story and say, yes, she is very happy with the way everything turned out. But one could say that there is a theme here that God does overtly intervene in the affairs of man. And perhaps this is why it's read on Rosh Hashanah because Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the Seret Meir Tshuva, the 10 days of repentance. So if you want to do Tshuva, you have to really understand the big picture of life. There's a lot of adversity that we undergo in life. And you have to see that as Hannah did, as a blessing. Even though it's also God intervening in our life, it's a blessing because it's a opportunity for us to grow, just as Hannah did. At first she was miserable and she got into a sort of a set pattern of not accompanying her husband when he went to do sacrifices, but then she came up with this bold initiative. And so she broke the pattern and she changed her, the way she acts. And that's really what we have to do to do tshuva. We also have to break out of patterns, but we have to understand the ground rules that God operates on the intersection of, of destiny and free will, and everything is really for the best. I wish you a gemar chatima tovah.